doing this podcast hasn't even felt like work. Yeah, it's weird. At any point, it's and it's so much work. Yeah, Yeah, it hasn't felt like work, but it is work. (laughs) Let's be very clear. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, uh, they don't just come together overnight. (laughs) Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. So pull up an armchair, feel free to lie down on the couch, and let's talk about our feelings. Spencer, we've got a special episode for folks today. The end of 2020 Mm -hmm. is nearly upon us, so we decided we wanted to take a brief pause. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have high hopes for 2021, but hey, whatever. Let's put this here in the ground. Um, But anyway, we wanted to take a brief pause uh, today from our regular format, uh, forego the guest interview this week, and uh, spend some time reflecting on what gaming has meant to us this year. And I think any conversation about what gaming has meant to us this year would not be complete uh, without first talking about what this podcast is meant to us this year because uh, uh, I don't know I don't know if anybody knows this but Spencer and I actually started a podcast this year mm-hmm. it's called pixel therapy uh, pixel therapy pod and uh, we've been doing that since what when did we start this thing uh, like mid-september okay it's felt long I guess because quarantine in general feels like a time warp yeah wormhole but yeah we just we really just hit our 90 day mark like a week a week ago yeah yeah that's nuts that's yeah. nuts to me it feels like we've been doing this for literally forever oh but like in a in a good way yeah in a great way and this is actually our like 10th episode basically and so that's kind of exciting that we've hit uh two digits i don't know it feels good no that is that's cool i did not even think about that so good job <laughs> good job me uh doing the intro did not even realize hey happy 10 episodes to us mm-hmm. we're 10 episodes old yeah what what are your reflections on these last few months? I mean, so we actually started talking about creating the podcast in like July, right? Yeah, I think, I don't know. It's like, I feel like I had been wanting to put something in the world that felt true to, that felt more authentic than like, I guess as a writer and designer who writes and designs for other people, like to support myself, like for money. <laughs> like <laughs> I didn't really feel like I was doing anything really creative or what I would call art. Um, and it's also hard because I felt like in order to do a podcast, I needed to do it with somebody else. Like I, I did, I knew that there were, I just, I couldn't, didn't want to do it by myself. Um, I've always felt like I, I have a lot of ideas, but no direction or motivation. Um, and I just sort of like, I don't know, I wanted it to, to work and I wanted it to, to matter. And so I think there was a, there was a bit of vulnerability there in sort of um, approaching like a friend and asking if that's something that they would be interested in. Um, and yeah, like I, I don't know, we've just, you and I have been friends for a long time. Um, and I think that we've always sort of been, or I've always seen you this way at least, but like, I just, not foils is not the right word because it's not like you stopped me from doing anything, but um, (laughs) I think you just, we're two different, very different people. um, And 
it creates a very rich friendship, I guess. Um, but yeah, <laughs> like I came to you and was like, what if we, you know how you like talk, you know how we spend six out, six to eight <laughs> hours together at a time and we mostly just talk about games or I watch you play games like fucking girlfriend reviews. Like <laughs> what if? <laughs> what if <laughs> what if we recorded that and put it on the internet for other people to listen to and i feel like my first response was like lol who would want to listen to that yeah <laughs> um because we are different people and my default position is like i have nothing interesting to say to anyone which is just bs <laughs> no one should listen to me um yeah i don't know man it's it's been this is just kind of crazy. Like it's wild to think that we're here, that we're 10 episodes in that we started doing this and like did it and that it's still going. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, we say like before we started the podcast, I was very much coming into it with this idea of like, this is just going to be like a silly little thing that like Spencer and I do yeah. for a few weeks and then it'll probably piddle out and that'll be the end of it. But even though I thought that, I definitely like set us up to, mm -hmm. to for it to be a long term thing, right? Like we were pretty intense about it uh, from the word go. It was kind yeah, of that like, never crossed my mind. <laughs> I was like, I'm in. Once once you said yes, and you were like, I think like it, once it started to feel real, I just knew that it was. I don't know. I just it meant something to me, and I. I never, even if the thought crossed my, like, it's funny, I, I was talking to Jamie earlier and I was saying how, like, it can be hard sometimes for me to, like, fully commit to a project. I guess I just, I, it's, I have never really felt so inspired. Um, but it was like a jigsaw falling into place, like, when, um, you know, we talked about even down to splitting up how, um, like, from me wrangling guests and crafting interviews to you like editing and creating music like it was like all of the things that felt incomplete on my end you were immediately there speaking to or already like filling and then it just it felt so right I don't know mm, it's like mm. love at first sight I don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like so like my experience of that is like well, you, you had been saying, you'd said a few different times, like, oh, maybe we should do a podcast. And like, I was very much like, oh, this is just Spencer, like throwing out, throwing out an yeah, idea. Like I like, said, yeah. <laughs> this isn't going to be a real thing. Like, I'll just like, uh, you know, like I was just like, oh, I'll just, you know, kind of like go along with it a yeah. little bit. And then like you kept bringing it up and it was becoming clear to me that like you were pretty serious about wanting to do it. And obviously I love talking about video games. Um, and I'm not someone who, like, I don't really put myself out there in creative endeavors very often. But, like, the idea was intriguing. And 2020 is a shit show. So, like, what mm -hmm. else do I have to do? Um, and so I just kind of pushed back a little bit and was like, okay, so, like, what's our angle? Like, what is the unique thing we're trying to say? Because there's a million podcasts about video games. I don't want to just put mm -hmm. another thing out there. Like, and, and, like, you came back with, like, more concrete ideas. Like, oh, we're going to do an interview show. And we're going to try to talk to folks who don't get as much representation in the industry. And we're going to have this queer angle. And, like, you came back with all of that. And it was like, oh, okay. Okay. Like, we might actually have something structurable here. Um, and then, yeah, I feel like from there it was like, it was like, oh, let's hang out and talk about it. And I, like, came in with an agenda. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were, like, off to the races. Um, I think. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was trailing off. I think 
what really solidified it for me was when we had that first conversation with Zombie Kills. Mm. Um, and the reception that we were getting from the guests that we reached out to. Because like a big yeah. part of this is that, you know, we wanted to talk to people who had something to say about games, who mm-hmm. were looking at them and seeing them, seeing the connections that you could form between the love of games and other areas of your life and the way that that we try to cultivate and appreciate. And um, in as like, I thought that we would be waiting weeks to hear from people. Um, like I thought that, you know, we're, we're not big names in the industry. So I, <laughs> I, I, in my opinion, folks would have no reason to respond to us. But the fact that we were able to get, you know, Earl T. Kim in the room, who plays Norio mm-hmm. and goes to Tsushima, that we were able to get Courtney Craven, um, who's the co-founder of Can I Play That, which is a huge resource um, for game developers in, in the accessibility space. Um, you know, like that folks um, like Danielle Brathway Shirley, who um, is a Black trans game developer who's who is an artist and and creating these digital archives. Like these are folks who like we are learning from and growing mm-hmm. from and who are changing how I look at games and experience games. And and that's a gift. And to mm-hmm. be able to share that with others um, and have that resonate. Like so many of our of our guests have have just expressed, um, you know, how they've never been contacted by a podcast like ours, how they've never seen a space to have conversations like this. Um, and the fact that all of you have been downloading, like, like I mean, in the beginning, it would be great if we would get one to two downloads a day. Like the fact that we're consistently seeing download days in the double and triple digits is is incredible. Mm-hmm. And and I'm just so thankful for all of it. Yeah, I'm the same. I am so thankful and still like, and I don't like, this is just like me and my like inner head bullshit, but like, I'm still like, why are people downloading it? Like, I, I guess, and you know, when I pick at that, it's like, I just think that like, I'm the problem. I'm like, well, Spencer's <laughs> saying great things and our guests are saying great things. So I guess I get why people are interested. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, for, for someone like me who just uh, doesn't just never wants to put themselves out there. Just so afraid of like getting smacked in the face and mm-hmm. like, told that i'm exactly as shitty as i think i am Mm -hmm. uh having this get received the way it's been has been uh (laughs) it's been really fucking special i don't know man i don't know that i would have made it through 2020 in Mm -hmm. like the mental state that i'm in without this podcast like i would have survived like i'd still be alive but it's just it's been something to be able to like put myself into in a way i haven't been able to forever Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I went to college for digital post-production, mm-hmm. uh, which is like, was focused in video editing, but I also took audio editing classes, which is what has, uh, made me able to edit our podcast. And then I just like, I didn't pursue it like partially because I'm a big chicken and partially <laughs> because, uh, when it comes to like doing creative things, I really need to have a certain level of autonomy and control over it Mm. or I lose like all passion in it. I worked for a few years for a wedding videography company. Oh God. Sucked the absolute soul out of my body (laughs) uh, because like I would make what I thought was like this really cool documentary Uh, about their wedding. And then they'd be like, ew, I don't like how I look in that shot. And I'm like, but you look real. It's like, nobody, nobody wants an auteur when it comes to your, your wedding video. Um, (laughs) 
So that just kind of like left me really like disillusioned with the whole concept of like, okay, so I'm going to be working my ass off and like, but like not have any say over the creative vision of this thing. And so I just kind of left that whole part of myself behind and, and didn't pursue creative stuff for a long time. Uh, and so getting to revisit that and cut the podcast and like, inject myself into something adds mm-hmm. ah, it's special as hell and yeah. the fact that like people are that i'm doing that and that people are responding positively to it is just like ugh. it i i can't i can't even articulate it it's really fucking special yeah thank you guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah 2020 i think it's bullshit all the people who are like if you didn't learn something or create something in 2020 mm-hmm. like you were wasting your time. Like we are living in a global pandemic. We are living in unprecedented times. We are living in an incredibly stressful and violent and terrifying time. And just the fact that, you know, y'all are getting up every day and surviving. uh, You should be celebrating that Um, shit's been really hard out here. Um, And like, I, I don't prescribe that ideology at all. Um, That being said, I like, it's not that I'm thankful that like we created something. I guess I'm just thankful that it like, I think like you said, it it gave me something to hold on to when things were getting really dark. And um, like personally, it's been a rough year for me. I felt really alone um, and isolated in personal ways beyond just the pandemic. And it's given me, I don't know. It's, a lot of things it's just nice to work on something to create something have that be received and like you said like not feel like it's because of someone else or uh it's validating i don't know (laughs) yeah well and it's not about being productive right i think that's how a lot of this stuff gets contextualized is like how were you productive in 2020 and what did you accomplish and like we didn't do this because we needed to like produce something it was more like uh we were having these conversations anyway mm-hmm. yeah. and it was kind of like, how can we like just reach out and see mm-hmm. if other people are interested in these conversations? How can we reach out and try to find people to connect with around these conversations? Like that was the impetus of it. Um, yeah. Tess agrees not, with you. Yeah, Sorry. My dog is barking in the background. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was the reasoning, right? It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't about producing a thing or like that we needed to like, uh, be generating something that yeah. certainly wasn't my drive. I mean, Lord knows I like work my day job and like being productive at all is just like <laughs> such a slog. It's like, mm-hmm. will I maybe get one thing done on my to do list today? Mm-hmm. Um, but doing this podcast hasn't even felt like work. Yeah, it's weird at any point. It's and it's so much work. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it hasn't felt like work, but it is work. <laughs> Let's be very clear if you're thinking about starting a podcast. Uh, they don't just come together over the night. <laughs> yeah. So, Jamie, um, what are your hopes for the future with the podcast, Eddie? Uh, I mean, look, I we already have some exciting stuff that we know is on the horizon uh, mm-hmm. in 2021. I just, I just want to keep doing it right now. Like, uh, we were kind of talking about this on the other day, but like, I don't think, um, we haven't sat down and put together the five-year plan, right? (laughs) Uh, 
the hope for the podcast right now is just to continue to grow it and to find more people uh, who want to have these conversations. Uh, and and I'd love to like hear from more people. Yeah. Um, I think that's the thing that I'd love for us to focus on in 2021 is how to find more connection with with you, our listeners. Like, yeah, you're out there. Uh, and we want to hear from you. Um, so having more opportunity for that is really what I'm looking forward to in 2021 and just continuing to do it um, because I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. What about ex- you? Yeah. Like I, I think the, something I'm really proud of is the consistency and I want to keep that up. Um, mm-hmm. It's really important that like, I want you all to know like how important, how seriously like we're taking it um, mm-hmm. and that we want to bring you high quality, a high quality way to spend an hour more of your time every couple of weeks. Um, and so, yeah, I think similarly, I just want to keep, um, you know, having really high quality conversations and, and bringing that to the fore, um, engage, figuring out how to engage. Um, I think as Jamie alluded to, we have some announcements for 2021 that we'll be able to share more details on soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yeah, I just, I'm excited to see where it takes us. Um, it's just keep having fun. Like I, I want it to always be as fulfilling as it feels now. I don't want it to, I think it's brought us closer in a lot of ways and I'm really yeah. happy about that. Um, so I guess I just want to keep seeing how this as in the podcast and this as in us, like how it <laughs> continues to grow. Yeah. 100%. Uh, yeah. And like grow is like, I I feel like I am growing by doing this podcast Mm -hmm. and getting to participate in these conversations and express myself in this way. So I don't know. I'm just really appreciative to everyone who's listening and supporting and giving us this opportunity to do this and, and leaning in. Uh, Podcasts are incredibly personal right yeah. like they're they're personal for us to record because it feels like we're just talking to each other but then it goes out and y'all listen to it and it is like you're part of that conversation mm-hmm. uh in a really unique way um so I, I mean i think it just inherently makes the whole dynamic um feel more intimate uh than yeah. it would otherwise and it means that like it means even more to us that we're putting so much of ourselves out there and being vulnerable in this way. And the fact that that's being received the way that it is, I just like, I can't say thank you enough. Like I think yeah. our appreciation for uh, regardless of how you're engaging with us, like if you're mostly just following on social media and liking what we're doing, you're listening to the episodes, you're, you gave us a review, uh, you're reposting some of our stuff, you're subscribing on Patreon, like whatever way you're, you're participating and supporting us. Thank you. Like, thank you so much. We see it all. We really appreciate it. And we really genuinely do want to get to know each and every one of you better. (laughs) So uh, we've put together (laughs) as an end of the year thing. This is the end of the year. We're reflecting on 2020. We're reflecting on gaming in 2020. Um, What we wanted to put together for you today is our very unofficial Pixel Therapy Game Awards, TM. TM. TM, yeah, copyrighted. This is a video game podcast, as a reminder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not just us gushing uh, about our, our feelings for you and our feelings for each other. We also want to talk about our feelings about video games. Um, so when I say this is unofficial, I mean it's very unofficial. Uh, we're not even limiting ourselves. So the, the way we're structuring this is Spencer and I 
are each going to award a handful of unique awards Mm -hmm. uh, to the games that had an impact on us this year, Mm -hmm. uh, this year of 2020, our Lord. Uh, Mm -hmm. And this is not just games that came out in 2020. It's games that we played in 2020. So don't add us uh, about when these games came out. We don't care. We played them this year and that's all that matters to us. The panel of judges is me, (laughs) myself and I, um, and our credentials are, we love games. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's all that matters. So without further ado, Spencer, what is the first award that you would like to give today? Oh, thank you, Jamie. Now, this is an award that um, needs no introduction. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> No, so it does It does need an introduction. We're making these up. You have to introduce it. Yep. Right, right. Um, so this first award I'd like to hand out is the game that lived rent-free in my head. Uh, now, this is a game that took up a lot of real estate, um, and some might say for no good reason. Um, it was a game that its presence made itself known long before I saw nary a screen grab or a trailer. Um, even before it made itself known visually to me, it heralded its arrival by its siren song, and the game <laughs> of which I speak is Bug Snacks. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, Bug Snacks. Thank you, um, Young Horses. Right, that mm-hmm. developed it. Um, yeah, yeah. Like this game um, truly lived rent free in my head, um, especially these past months. Like it's been kind of a slog getting through these first dark weeks of winter. Um, and the full Bug Snacks original soundtrack, uh, beautifully crafted by musician Seth Parker, um, was was graciously uploaded to YouTube for free um, by the Bug Snacks team. And I tell you, that 90 minutes really gets me through. Uh, it's my new lo-fi beats to chill and mm-hmm. study to. Um, this soundtrack is... It's just good electronic music. Like, if you yeah. just like vibes, like, if you just like to chill and you know just want to feel a range of emotions um i highly recommend the bug snack soundtrack um and then that's not even to mention the game itself like it's living i mean the soundtrack's playing in my head right now as i speak um but this game really took me by surprise like i downloaded it because um i was lucky enough to get a ps5 and it was actually uh, I mean, once that cleared out my bank account, um, it was <laughs> blessedly a free download um, for the first uh, couple weeks of like November or something. Um, and so having heard all about it, I downloaded it. And at first I thought, like many others, that it was just going to be a wacky body horror game. Um, mm-hmm. But it turned out to be in a surprisingly emotionally rich tapestry. Um, <laughs> the characters... <laughs> Uh, were very engaging. It was a very queer game. Like I would argue it had better non-binary uh, and queer relationship representation than like the other AAA titles that came out this year touting to do the same. Mm-hmm. Um, like Honestly, as a queer trans person, I'm just vibing and like not everything has to be about how I'm suffering all the time or like my body sucks or whatever it is that says people obsess about what it must be like to be trans. And so just having a story where you can have a main character in the cast who's like non-binary and it's just like you just use they pronouns and like they're just a fully realized character outside of that. It's like pretty refreshing, which is sad. Mm -hmm. But thank you, Bugsnax, for reminding me that games 
can be fun um, and mean something and be impactful without necessarily having to trot back to the traumatization of a marginalized group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree with all of that. What a, like, what a wonderful surprise gift that game was this year. Like, yeah, yeah from every, every aspect of it, the, the, the sound narrative. design. Yeah. It's just like, it was so much more than I thought it was going to be in mm-hmm. such like the best way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just fun. And and it. I feel like games that can be really lighthearted and cartoony and like I wouldn't say it's a game for kids, but I guess I was surprised by the level of care that was brought to every detail of this game. Like mm-hmm. it, it was fully realized. It was immersive. It was funny. Uh, mm-hmm. It was witty. It's just a great game. Um, so... Thank you, Bug Snacks, for and living. And I still, I still walk around. I still walk around the house going Scoopy Banoopy. Oh uh, yeah, bunger, 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 bunger. Yeah. Um, so. Anyway, with that, over to you, Jamie, for your first award. Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you. Uh, the first award that I will be giving today is the award for the best game that I could not finish. Ow! ow! <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that award is going to Outer Wilds. Uh, Outer Wilds is a game uh, made by Mobius Digital. is a developer published by Annapurna Interactive. It's a uh, first-person game uh, where you are a little space explorer. Uh, the game starts out, you're on your home planet, and you go and meet with the scientist and get yourself up into your spaceship, and you go up into outer space. And it's really set up as very open-ended. Like, you're just out here to explore space. But what you realize is that uh, every 22 minutes, the universe mm. explodes uh, and the game resets with the entire solar system. The sun goes supernova. So you're like the- reliving that <clears throat> over and over? Yeah. So like they clue you into the fact that the the sun's about to go supernova, that your 22 minute time loop is done in a, in a really cool way where the, the music actually changes into the, it becomes a bit louder and it goes into this, um, this piece of music that just, as you play it, you realize like, Oh, that's my cue that I'm running out of time, which creates this like intense, like, Oh, I've got to run around and like uh, do stuff before the, the sun goes supernova because every time it goes supernova, you're brought all the way back to the beginning and start on your home planet again. And you have to go back into space um, so it's a little bit of a roguelite in that sense. However, as you're exploring the galaxy, this galaxy that you exist in, you're collecting information, you're finding old pieces of history from other civilizations that have existed, specifically the civilization that had been studying the sun and uh, had realized that that mm. the galaxy was going to end. So you're like studying them, you're collecting bits of information, and that all gets logged in your ship's computer. Mm-hmm. And you can revisit that timeline. So uh, even though you're resetting every 22 minutes, all of the information that you collect still exists in your ship's computer. Um, and it has this really interesting way of like, it shows you like, here's a thing. I'm not describing this very well, but you're looking at your ship's computer and it's got this kind of like timeline laid out. And these um, it shows all of the planets in the galaxy and has little like info 
markers coming off of them. And so if you find a thing on a planet, it puts that, it stores that in the information that you know about this planet. Here's the thing that you found. But then it'll show you that there's more information to find about that thing, or it'll make it clear that you found all the information about that mm-hmm. thing. And some of the things have threads that lead you to other planets, or they lead you to other areas. So it makes it so, like you're exploring this galaxy and you're finding this information, but you're doing all of that um, in in this way that like, it's it's giving you some clues about kind of where to go and what to look into. But other than that, you're really on your own. Uh, and so I found everything that there was to find. Like I pieced the whole ship's computer uh, together. But what I couldn't do is at the, the very end, once you've pieced all the information together, you realize that there's a way to escape the time loop. And it's a complicated process and the mechanics of this game are unfortunately just not great. The ship control is really kind of difficult. Okay. And I couldn't, I couldn't complete the steps that you had to complete to actually escape the supernova. Frustrating. It it was really frustrating. And I did it like several times. And of course it's this 22 minute loop. So it's like when you fuck it up, it's like, you've got to just burn out the rest of the 22 (sighs) minutes. Cause you know, you're not going to have enough time to get to where you need to be. So it it definitely put a damper on the whole experience. But what I ended up doing was just, just Googling it. And this is kind of like the magic of the Mm. internet nowadays and streaming culture. And the fact that like, I was able to just find someone playing through the end of this game and it's so impactful and emotional. I, I don't want to like spoil anything more about this game, except to say that like there's some there were so many times in the game where that 22 minutes was coming to an end. And the, it just encourages you to find a way to like there, there were times where the 22 minutes was coming to an end. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm like almost at this thing I've been trying to find. I'm going to try to run through and find it. And there were other times where it was like the music would start to play and I'd just be in a space where maybe I'm there with another alien and he's playing a banjo and I'm like, I'm just going to sit down and watch the universe end. Wow. And so it just, it was just super impactful and kind of similar to bug snacks. It has a ridiculously good score Mm -hmm. uh, that was like my top played album of the year on my Spotify. So the music of it is still with me and like the music still kind of brings me back to that game in a really visceral way. And I I love outer wilds. If, If anything I'm saying intrigues you, I think you should check it out. It's a really special really special game making yourself more comfortable with death or experiencing it over and over again seems like a valuable exercise for getting through 2020 yeah yeah it definitely was i played that right at the top of the year too before i even knew what we had Mm. coming for us so Mm. oh well my next one is also a game that i played at the top of the year um it was so my next award is called Game so nice. I played it twice, but actually it was more like three times. Um, and that game is, I'm going to say Persona 5 Royal uh, because it did come out in the U.S. Um, earlier. It was like February 2020, which feels like a lifetime ago. Mm. Um, but Persona 5, I mean, okay, I don't even know how to explain you. It is a Japanese role-playing game where you play as a teenage boy who by day is a well mild-mannered and well-behaved high schooler who is attempting to navigate uh, his third year um, in a new city and, and make friends and all of that. And by night, um, he goes into the uh, this visualization of the unconscious mind of the city of Tokyo where he fights uh, alongside his friends um, 
monstrous personifications called personas uh, that are formed from the distorted desires of human beings in our psyches um, and distort how we act towards each other. And he is working to um, to fight the the, the personifications of these urges um, and eventually uh, fight God. <laughs> <laughs> Casual. <laughs> um, but I don't know. This game, I think style is a word that immediately comes to mind when people mm-hmm. talk about Persona 5. Um, it it uh, is by Atlas, uh, who's responsible for the Shin Megami Tensei series. Um, and Persona has actually been around for over a decade now. 20, 20 like years, that. I want to say. Yeah, um, And um, like loosely related stories, um, I would say they are very existential um, they sort of deal with everything from the sort of condition of powerlessness that many young people may feel in this hyper-capitalist, uh, consumerist um, society that we live. Um, I think it deals with, uh, you know, our perceptions of ourselves and others. Mm-hmm. Um, like the whole... Uh, like a a big theme in the game is around sort of um, tearing off the mask that we wear and allowing ourselves to lean in to our most base urges that some may think of as violent or dangerous, but um, uh, just seeing the power that we all have innately um, and and the power we have to be all of these different things. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a really cool game, amazing soundtrack, Awesome characters, super immersive. It's 200 hours <laughs> of gameplay. <laughs> so if you want to uh, hop in. So great way to just kind of exit my life for a minute. I was, I pretty much the whole month of March, my boyfriend had built, um, I was, we, uh, we were living with lots of people at that time. And um, I was very scared to leave my partner's bedroom. And I was basically uh, staying with him. Um, because my home had folks who unfortunately like were essential workers and it, there was no common space. Like it, it was complicated with COVID. And uh, he basically made like a nest for me where uh, I had a TV with persona and a bed and all these pillows and like this little corner bed fort of his room. And so I don't know, it got me through those first couple of months. I don't know if that's healthy. I wouldn't recommend it, but I mean, <laughs> Hey, we're gamers. What can I say? Um, but yeah, Persona 5 came out in 2017. I was very late to the party. And so by the time I was wrapping it up, uh, Royal was coming out. So I, I've played this, I've played this game for like 500 plus hours at this point and I'll fucking play it again with, when Strikers comes out. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Was there anything that you wanted to say about Persona? Uh, I mean, I, I played, I played the original Persona 5 uh, when it came out and absolutely loved it. I agree with everything that you're saying. Um, I, yeah, the story of that game is so engaging and I really love, um, the way it oscillates between the, you know, you're going into the, uh, you know, the personified spaces, like the inside of people's heads and inside mm-hmm. of their dark desires. Uh, but then like during the day, you're just a normal ass teenager going yeah. to high school and you have to take quizzes and yeah. you have to like answer questions from your teachers. And if you're on your cell phone, they'll throw their chalk at you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just really cool the way it bounces two things, the way you're building up both like, 
your own high school, like human being social stats, and then how those impact what you're able to do in the personified world. Like you have to build up your charm uh, and you have to build up your uh, proficiency and stuff like that. And then all of those skills um, aid you in the personified mm-hmm. world as well. I, I'd never played a persona game before, but I'd been interested in them. And yeah, five really got me hooked. I really want um, persona four to <laughs> come out on uh, something that I can play it on. Same. I know, I know it's on Vita, which I do have an old Vita. I could pull out and dust off, um, but I'd much rather play it on my TV and they did just remaster it for uh, PC. And I really, I just like, just bring it to PS5, bring it to PS4. I, I got to buy a Persona machine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm similarly really excited for Strikers. I love the world that they built. I love the characters. Um, I'm a big Ryuji stan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love um, I love the design and aesthetic of the game. It's just it's a really special game. Uh, I did I did start Royal, but I have not finished it yet. Maybe that's going to be the thing I hunker down and do over the holiday break. Finally, you I'm need like to just for that in. a catchy storyline that you get. I know I've heard that like yeah that they they made a lot of like quality of life improvements in the re release mm-hmm. of Royal like throughout the game, but you have to push through like 150 of hours of content before you get to like the new content like the really new content so it's a light 150 (laughs) it's a light 150 um i do i do love the game though i have every intention of finishing it i've just been kind of like i'll i'll take like a few month break and then i'll come back and i'll do like one palace at a time so i will get back to it um great game great choice for what's next for you jamie uh the next award that i'm going to give is uh the game that felt almost like an indie movie and I'm going to give that award to Wide Ocean Big Jacket. Wide Ocean Big Jacket is uh, it's essentially a text-based game. Like a visual um, novel? It's kind of a visual novel. There is some moving around in it, but it's pretty much, you're mostly experiencing a story through text. Um, it's developed by developer Turnfollow. And it's a really short game. It's like 90 minutes, I think, it took me to play it. Um, but so impactful. Um, I really, I really recommend this. You can get it on um, iOS. You can get it on Switch. That's where I played it. I'm thinking you can get it on Android as well. Um, you can get it on PC. Um, but the the narrative of this game is that you're uh, you're along on a camping trip um, with a young girl. She's she's 13, and her boyfriend. And well, he's sort of her boyfriend, right? Like they're, mm. you know, they're 13 year olds. So it's kind of like, uh, sorry, the girl's name is Mord and her longtime friend turned boyfriend is Ben. Mm. So they're like right on the cusp of becoming boyfriend and girlfriend. And they're on this camping trip with Mord's aunt and uncle. Okay. Uh, who are like 30 somethings who don't have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, it just really captured. For one thing, I played it like literally the week before you and I went on a trip this summer. Like we went with our partners to do this like kind of camping trip at a mm-hmm. cabin in the middle yeah. of nowhere. Um, yeah. So I was kind of like already feeling like camping vibes, like wanting to like sit by a fire um, and just have like weird conversations into the night. And mm-hmm. it really captures like that feeling of, first of all, mm-hmm. being at that age, that like teenager, preteen age when like, you're kind of weird and like too honest and like mm. put yourself out there and like just ask questions, mm-hmm. you know, more like there's a moment where Mord's like asking her aunt about sex mm. um, that just felt really authentic. Um, 
and her aunt like not having kids and not even really wanting to have kids, like kind of like having to struggle through that conversation and not sure what to say. Yeah. I don't know. It, it really resonated with me of like taking these trips with people who, uh, you know, aren't your parents and how kids kind of will like ask any adult anything mm. <laughs> and like then how adults can be put in that situation of trying to answer something when they don't even feel like they have it figured out either yeah. and how we all kind of navigate that. So it kind of just captures this like two little two day camping trip. There's some really beautiful, quiet moments in the game where you're just sitting with the characters. Um, and I really love the way they do the, the conversations around the fire. You don't necessarily play as any one character. You're kind of making dialogue decisions for everyone. Um, kind of like yeah, Kentucky Route Zero. Yeah, kind of like Kentucky Route Zero in that sense. And I don't know. It just it was super impactful to me. And it did feel it felt like a little indie movie experience mm. except that i got to influence the direction that it went and like kind of decide how these characters were going to relate to each other and i highly recommend it beautiful it was Love it was that. a really special little game what's your next award yeah so i guess speaking of special little game um this next one i'm naming best medicine for 2020 um this was honestly like a late game like game of the year for me um and it's new to PS5, um, but PS PC gamers have had early access to it since the beginning of 2020. Um, but the game is Temtem. Um, and I mentioned Temtem in our uh, last Patreon-only um, co-op mode bonus episode, if folks, just so you know that that's a thing that exists. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, I wanted to take a minute to talk a little bit more about it, um, just because I was really surprised by it. I was really caught off guard. Um, like I had not heard much about Temtem. Um, and essentially it's an MMO um, creature collecting game similar to Pokemon, uh, which I resent because I think Temtem has done something. I think that they've made Pokemon better. They've, they have become what Pokemon would be if they hadn't become like a cash cow, just trying to release mm. more and more titles for more and more money. Like mm. I really think that Temtem feels like a game for people who grew up with Pokemon generations one through three, um, specifically generation three, which was Pokemon Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald. Um, and it was a game that introduced a lot of new concepts to the Pokemon universe. It was the first Pokemon game that had 2v2 battles. It also introduced a lot more um, content to the Pokemon world. It had a 40-plus hour main quest. It had... Um, this really rich, mysterious world with a lot of diverse landscapes. Um, and, and it introduced uh, aspects that would make the game more conducive to replayability or continued play beyond the main quest with like these beauty contests and, and breeding opportunities um, that really made Pokemon feel like a, a richer world. And the sad part is that after that generation, they didn't really continue to pursue and build out these things that they had introduced in Generation 3. They kind of just seem to really lean in to making more and more Pokemon to make it mm -hmm. so that you needed to get the next game and, uh, you know, yeah. updating for the latest consoles or whatever. Um, and there's actually been a lot of complaints about how Pokemon hasn't really grown up. It hasn't really mm -hmm. um, grown with the players that, you know, have grown up loving it. Like there's, it, it sort of stayed the same. Um, mm -hmm. And I think Temtem, it really took, the magic of Generation 3 Pokemon. And it was as if a design team really sat and thought about what it would take to make a game that was engaging and had all of these elements. Um, and I guess by these elements, I mean 
at its core, it's a game where you are a tamer, not a trainer, a tamer, Mm. and you go around on this adventure catching and taming Temtem. You fight in these battles. Um, You uh, are engaging on this quest to be the best tamer in the land. Um, But what Temtem has is just this really unique uh, personality that I really love. Um, it's a it's a really beautiful world, really taking advantage of the PS5's graphic capability. Uh, it's really colorful and thoughtful. It's surprisingly detailed, like even though it's a soft, like cell-shaded, um, bright world, like there's little details um, like from stuff from like a remote control hanging on someone's desk to uh, like little drawings on the fridge to a box of snacks on the counter or a loaf of bread that they were halfway through cutting. Like the game feels littered with little touches that, that make it feel alive. Um, hmm. uh, the battles are closer to the type of strategy that you're having to think about in a Persona game more so than the type of uh, melee fighting that you expect from typical Pokemon. Like I guess I feel like in Pokemon, I could pretty much just train up one one strong Pokemon and brute force my way through all the battles. Mm-hmm. But in Temtem, it really forces you to think not just about elements like water is powerful against fire, but they also introduce um, like time-based moves. Like, oh, you can only use this move after two or three or more turns have passed in the battle. Like certain moves take time to charge. Um, mm. The way they treat energy um, and stats, um, the way that they um, involve like certain combinations of Temtem will unlock different power-ups because of this 2v2 battle system. Like they've just really created uh, a system that rewards you. Like it's a lot to wrap your brain around at first, but once you understand the fighting system, uh, it's incredibly engaging and rewarding and it, it really makes the whole experience um of finding, training, catching, fighting with Temtem, um, just a lot more engaging than a game where I feel like all I need to do is just get one strong fighter. Um, it's been described as hard because it's a lot more built out. Um, mm-hmm. But I really think for people who grew up loving original Pokemon, like for me, it was really nostalgic um, it was really exciting because I recognized elements, especially from uh, Ruby and Sapphire and Emerald. Like, like yeah, like I would say it's definitely heavily inspired. Uh, I think it's it's not totally unfair for people who are drawing parallels to Pokemon. Um, but I really see Temtem um, as a gift. I think, too, it reflects a more contemporary audience, a more diverse audience. Uh, like, this is the first type of Pokemon-esque game where I've run around seeing indigenous people and black people mm. uh, and Asian people and white people. It's like, like it's not just, we're not accepting white as the default. Um, mm-hmm. And the game uh, just really nods to its cultural diversity. Um, there's a mountain called Anak Mountain and the people who live around it uh, look like indigenous Filipinos and um there's a land I haven't visited yet called Uhuru, um, and there are a lot of um, like black trainers out and about. Where like it's just hmm. like 
it's just really cool. Um, it's really sweet game. Um, the character creation, I really credit for showing how easy it is to create inclusive character builders. Mm-hmm. Um, something we were talking about recently. Um, but like you can pick any hair, any body shape, uh, any walking style, any voice. Um, doesn't none of those are are assigned to a specific gender, and then all you do is pick your pronouns and your name. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no like I hate when character builders force you eventually to put yourself into a box. Like this shows that like you can really bring your full self to the game, and it doesn't make it hard to do so. Yeah. Um, so I just love Town Town. It's it's really been a bomb um, these last few weeks of the year. Um, I, I'm also playing like Assassin's Creed Valhalla at the same time, but I found that I've been drawn more and more to Temtem because it's just so darn delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for anyone who is nostalgic for early days Pokemon and is looking for something that an adult can enjoy, um, I would definitely highly recommend Temtem. Um, especially the fact, I didn't really mention this, but the fact that it's an MMO, um, it, it makes sense. Like I'm running around as a trainer and I'm seeing other trainers running around and battling and stuff too. Like it just mm-hmm. makes that world feel all the more rich. So really enjoying Temtem. Um, yeah. Pass it back over to you. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, I, yeah, I have no touchstone for Pokemon at all. I tried to play the mm-hmm. newest release and just did not connect with me, but yeah. everything you're saying about Temtem sounds very cool. So maybe I'll have to check that one out. Uh, the next award that I'm going to give, uh, is best NPC hugs, best mm. hugs from a non-player character. And uh, that that goes to Spiritfarer. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked Spiritfarer to death uh, several episodes ago, so I will not do that again here. Um, but for as much as like I have issues with this game and like some of the mechanics and the way they laid it out, I would be remiss to, to not include it on a list of games that impacted me the most this year. Um, it made me incredibly sad, but it was at a time that like I was feeling incredibly sad and like having something that just allowed me to like be sad and for that to be okay uh, was really important to me this year. And I, more games should let you hug the NPC characters. Those hug animations were like my favorite part of the game. And it just, it felt, I don't know, you know, it's like we can't go see people and spend time with them and hug them outside of the people that live in our homes mm. Mm-hmm. And there was just something really powerful about, you know, within the first 10 minutes of that game, being able to wrap your arms around another character that you had a connection with and give them yeah. a hug and have them hug you back in the way they like lean into the hugs. Uh, yeah. it, it meant a lot. That game meant a lot to me this year. Yeah, I that resonates. Like, touch has been, we've, we're all pretty touch starved, I'd say. And um, yeah, there was something really simple and powerful about the, connection that feeling of connection that that game gave and um such a simple gesture but yeah we all needed hugs this year <laughs> absolutely 100 <laughs> percent. what's your next award yeah so this is my second to last award and it is for what i'm calling unexpected pixel therapy <laughs> And I'm giving this award to God of War 2018, God of War 4, um, a game we talked about um, a lot in episode 9. And I'm giving it the Unexpected Pixel Therapy Award because I think that, I don't know, I was was surprisingly struck by 
Um, like I, I guess I felt like when I first started playing God of War, I did not like Kratos. Like I was actively against him. I did not trust him. I didn't, I was kind of like, oh, I got nothing else to play. And everyone keeps telling me you got to play this damn game. Um, <laughs> By and, everyone, you mean me. Yeah. Every, yeah. Jamie, <laughs> the only person I talk to. Um, and like, I just, I felt like over the course of the game, just as we were understanding more about Kratos and in turn Kratos was growing and changing as a father, I felt like it was a parallel for, so a couple years ago I went and um, I just, I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what, I just didn't feel good. I, I mean, this is my whole life, I guess, but like <laughs> um, I just, Things were bad and dark and I wanted, I had been diagnosed formally with um, generalized anxiety and depression when I was like 13 or, or, or 14, um, but I hadn't really given much thought to that diagnosis since then. Um, and I had just kind of gone on living my life, getting traumatized here and there um, and just trying to deal with it along the way. Um, and so I finally, here in Boston, there is a center um, that does like full um, psychological, neurological testing. Like, like I did um, everything from they would show me a picture and then tell me to draw it from memory to they would ask me to um, define certain words that they would read from a list or they would read a list to me and then tell me to try to remember, like it would be different memory things, different IQ things, different like uh, they would, intersperse it with these interviews where they'd ask me a bunch of questions or then I would have to take these quizzes and I'd be like how much do you agree or disagree with this statement um at the end of the day uh so a few weeks later I got called in and they gave me this like 100 page report of like who I was basically like what Whoa. was my deal <laughs> um, <laughs> and my diagnosis um expanded to um generalized anxiety, major depression. I'm a major now. Ooh, um, congrats. And chronic uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. Um, and something that the doctor felt a need to uh, note on in, in the meeting when he was going over my results was that um, he said that he and the team were struck by the amount of times that I had indicated in quizzes um, or in interviews, the statement that I deserve nothing, I hate myself, I'm worthless, I deserve to die, everyone will leave me at some point. Mm. And I remember I started crying, like, like tears like rolling down my cheeks, hearing these statements repeated back to me because I didn't... I didn't even think of it. Like I didn't go into that room thinking I'm, I feel like shit today. So I'm just going to be mean to myself. Like I was just answering the questions honestly. Mm -hmm. And when they laid it out in front of me, how often I had self assessed that I was worthless um, and how much I hated myself. Like he said, like he was, the doctor was talking to me about how like, he was like, you know, for someone like he, <laughs> I didn't even know this guy, but he was like, he was like, that drawing you did, there was an activity I said earlier where I had, I ha they showed me a picture and they asked me to draw it. He's like, yeah. I've seen maybe two people who, who drew it with the care and specificity 
that you did. I, I've never seen some, and he's like, at the same time, I've never seen a drawing where someone was so clearly so hard on themselves. Like he was like, it felt like you were so afraid to, to make a mistake, to do it wrong. And he's like, for someone with such, with so much to offer, it's like surprising to me how, how low you think of yourself, like how distorted your self view is. Mm-hmm. I'm like, looking back, I'm like, damn, is that some, like, is this, are psychologists usually that opinionated when delivering <laughs> results? Anyway, <laughs> but, um, but it really struck me. And, um, you know, I guess in a lot of ways, when I think about how I was playing God of War, I think that maybe Kratos and I, ha- like, of course, I haven't murdered entire villages of people, nor would I ever think of doing that. But I, I think in terms of hating ourselves so much and, displacing that hatred of ourselves to others. Like, I think mm-hmm. I hated Kratos so much because I didn't want to see the ways that like I could be just as violent to myself as he is and in turn like isolate myself from others just because I truly believe deep down, even subconsciously, that I am worthless. Mm-hmm. Like I'm bad about keeping in touch with friends. I'm bad about always remembering to text. I'm I'm bad about um just like always being there and it's not because I don't care I care so much like I love the people in my life so much I would give them anything they asked for but I just don't understand why they would waste time on me Mm -hmm. um and so playing God of War um by the time I reached the end of that game um I I really felt this love uh I guess (laughs) for Kratos's character um and I was really thankful for the folks at Santa Monica Studio for what they had done in terms of the growth of that character and, and what it showed me. Um, but I really was not expecting that from a God of War game. Um, <laughs> and like, it really helped me sort of contextualize like my own PTSD and understand that like, I'm going to get older and I'm still going to have PTSD. I'm not going to grow up and it's not going to heal itself. Like I'm always going to be fighting with these demons and I need to be able to find a way to make peace and find meaning outside of just being angry and hating myself because that's just going to kill me and it's going to hurt others. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't know. I was just, I was really appreciative of that game. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, a lot of that resonates. I I don't feel like I have anything to add. We talked that game to death (laughs) in our, in our last episode and yeah, I think if you go back and listen to that episode nine, you'll you'll hear all the ways that like what you're saying about it, I resonated with as well. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, unexpected is the right word for it. It was a powerful experience in a place that I, even as someone who had like played the other God of War games, I was not coming into God of War 2018 thinking that it was gonna <laughs> it was gonna move me in the way that it did. And yeah, yeah, it's a special game. If I can love Kratos, I can love myself. That's so, that's what God of War <laughs> taught me. <laughs> If I can forgive Kratos, I can forgive myself. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <sighs> and with that, <laughs> some quick emotional excavation. Um, Jamie, what's your next award? Uh, the yeah. Sorry, still reeling from that. <laughs> uh, the next award that I have to give um, is the game that. It's an award for the game that I loved in the moment and feel most conflicted about after the fact. And Mm -hmm. I'm giving that award to The Last of Us Part 2. Here, here. The Last of Us Part 2 is, I don't don't think it's, I'm going on a limb to say it's an amazing video game experience. It's certainly Mm -hmm. an amazing technical achievement. It's beautifully designed. We can all agree. We can all agree. (laughs) Uh, The acting is phenomenal. 
I think the writing's really good. I think there's a lot of critiques that you can poke at it, but I don't think it's necessarily that the writing is bad. Uh, like, I don't think that's the takeaway. I think the no. writing is problematic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's a game that like I, I blew through in like a week. Uh, we talked about a ton. It's part of what inspired the creation of this podcast is talking about the last of us part to you. Um, there's so much in there to love. And yet coming out of that game and reading all of the discourse around it, reading all of the takes on it, understanding like the crunch that the developers went through to make that game. Right. Um, there's, you know, there's also these, you know, there's allegations of sexual harassment and stuff that have circulated around Naughty Dog that they've been very dismissive of. Uh, Naughty Dog being the developer. So I don't know. It just sounds like they maybe don't have the best work culture over there they certainly you know from uh, jason trier in particular has done a lot of really good reporting uh, if you're interested in looking deeper at some of the uh, the stuff that's come out in the last few years about the climate at naughty dog um but it just sounds like they have a culture of perfectionism that they're really pushing their developers to make i mean and the games that they make are, are gorgeous but it's like at what cost at the end of the day um you know there's a lot of stuff in the way that game is written that they they've kind of created this pattern of really treating their black characters really poorly. Uh, a lot of violence and mm-hmm. trauma inflicted against black characters. That just mm-hmm. feels like it's it's a weird pattern at this point. That yeah. that doesn't feel like it's just a one off random thing. It feels like something they really need to explore. Um, and then some of the parallels that have been drawn between uh, the narrative of the game and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's it's just hard to, taking that game in the full context of what it is and say being able to walk away and say like, yeah, I still love this game. I, I can't do that anymore. Like I can't separate the game from all the context. It was still mm-hmm. a really powerful experience to have had. I will still think on the game fondly or like I'm able to think on the game fondly, but there's also a lot of baggage that comes with that. And so it's the game that I'm, I'm kind of walking away from 2020 feeling the most conflicted about after mm-hmm. the fact. Yeah. I, I highly recommend folks check out the vice games article, the not so hidden it's called the not so hidden Israeli politics of the last of us part two by Emmanuel Myberg, um, just to give more context to what Jamie's referring to. But yeah, that, that resonates. Um, we need more diverse games. Yeah. I mean, because that's the other thing, right? Like this is a game that's, uh, you know, there's, there's a trans character in the game. There's the main couple of the game is a a lesbian couple. And like, yeah, the trans representation is not great. You can certainly pick it apart. There's, uh, you know, yeah. Yet again, trans representation is predicated on it being rooted in the trauma and violence of existing as trans uh, Mm -hmm. under cis through the cis lens of what yes. they think being trans is. Yes. Um, and I, uh, I don't know. It's, a, it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect game by any stretch, but I still think like what they accomplished with the game narratively um, in the way they position the two main characters and the parallels that they draw. There's a lot of like really amazing narrative crafting that they did in the game. They took some really big chances with the game and they alienated a huge portion of the fan base by even taking things in the direction that they did. Um, But it's a game that you can't just, I I think you do it a disservice by just taking it at face value and not talking about some of these deeper issues. Um, 
And, and then the game won, uh, it won a bunch of awards at the game awards that just happened. Uh, but specifically it won best game direction. And now there's a whole conversation around ha- happening around like, how do we give best game direction to a game where we know that the developers crunched? Like, is mm-hmm. that actually good management? Should we actually be awarding a game studios management team for crunch, forcing their employees to do mandatory crunch? <laughs> like, right. is that what we're saying? Like, this is the pinnacle of what we can do. And how can we celebrate The Last of Us 2? I mean, uh, there are reasons aesthetically, and I would say final product-wise. But, you know, CD Projekt Red is coming under a lot of scrutiny right now for the crunch that their developers had to go through to create Cyberpunk 2077, and it launched horribly. And there's recalls and refunds happening as we speak. Um, But it's like, you know, how can we... First of all... (laughs) How do you make a game about like super exploitative like corporations when you're forcing all your devs to crunch like crazy? But also like, uh, how can we put one game on a pedestal and completely be refunding and uh, scrutinizing this other one when both of them have the same unsavory practices going on? Yeah, and like, I think it just. For me, the big thing is like we just need to have more space for nuance in these conversations. And I like I I don't know that like I, I guess I when it comes to the conversation around crunch, I think it's a really complicated conversation. I don't think anyone should having to be like forcibly like I the worker should not have to be forcibly crunched to make these games. Like that is not appropriate. Like we need unions in game dev, like period. But but the fact of the matter is that like we don't we don't even know to like we only know about the crunch we hear about. Mm-hmm. And just because we're not hearing that a studio had crunch and like or like has I, I just kind of assume <laughs> that a lot of these studios have problematic work cultures because mm-hmm. of just the culture of games in general. I have to assume there's a lot of shit going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. That's probably problematic. And so to some extent, it's like, I don't want to be like awarding studios that are behaving this way when we know they're behaving this way and just brushing that under the rug. But I also think we have to acknowledge that this is not a studio by studio problem. And it's something more pervasive to the entire industry. It's something more pervasive to like just the culture around gaming in general and we mm-hmm. have to just create more nuance in these conversations. I, I loved, um, I know we're kind of, conf- we're talking about TLU 2, The Last of Us 2, and we're also talking about cyberpunk. But something I loved about the way Polygon did their cyberpunk review is that they had their review and then kind of posted in a side column right next to it. They had some, they like had a whole little blurb about how we know that the developer has been crunching like crazy to mm-hmm. make cyberpunk. And it was like, yeah, we have to be able to still talk about these games still talk about things that we enjoy about them and also like bring in this other stuff. Like we have to, nothing is, um, nothing is, it's not black and white. It's not binary. These things are nuanced and complicated because these, especially these big games, but most games are made by a lot of people. And so you Mm. can't just kind of look through the, look at them through one lens and say like, that's all it is. And that's the whole narrative around this thing. Like, it's got there's got to be space for it to be more complicated than that and we have to embrace those complications and not say like well because we like this thing we're going to put it on a pedestal and brush all this other shit under the rug and not acknowledge it we've got to hold that complexity mhm 100% and honestly like 
uh, as someone who works as a product designer um, building software. Um, like I work on a team of software engineers, um, product managers, designers like myself and writers. And there is not a single like project in existence where we say, okay, we're going to build this entire feature and it's going to be 100% tested and ready for the public on May 1st, 2021. There is no project that, like, I think it. we need to change the way that we think about, like you said, how we create and release games. Like, it's, it's not the same thing as, like, I think it's very common for the, like, consumer entertainment industries to want to be able to state a date so that they can start marketing from that and work backwards and make sure to build the hype and all the things that go into it. But when you're scheduling something like eight years in advance, you have no idea what, what kind of um, uh, challenges will come up in the building of the software. You don't know about what happens in people's lives. You have personnel changes, you have bugs, you have um, mm-hmm. new technologies that emerge, you have um, you know new tools that come out, you have differences, like changes in positioning, like you learn more information about your target audience and you pivot. Like there's so many little things that happen over the life cycle of software development. And um, in the industry that I work, like it is so common to say like, oh, actually, like uh, we actually need to move this release back two weeks. Um, And that's just, that's just, that's just the life uh, in software development. Like, and I think um, it's challenging for games because uh, they're, they're held to these very hard um, deadlines and, and people are demanding a level of quality, but not respecting the fact that to achieve that level of quality, it takes time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it yep. takes the coordination between hundreds of people. And so like, I think we have it easier because I don't know, I think uh, especially in this world of like browser based app software that we like, productivity tools and what have you. Um, There's not often like product improvements aren't always surrounded by a ton of fanfare. Like you just kind of expect that over time the software changes and has improvements made to it. Mm -hmm. Why don't we treat games in a similar way? Like why don't we understand that they are living, breathing uh, works of art? Like I I think that's changing, like especially like in the MMO world, it's more common to be like, oh great, there's, you know, more content coming, it's updating, there's more more yeah. missions, whatever. But I think that we just need to be more understanding as a consumer culture too about what it takes to build software. Yeah, I think I think the I think the blame is is shared a bit on both sides of it. Like I think there's there's the owners and the stockholders and all the people who are financially yeah. invested in these games yeah. that are forcing things to happen on a timeline that is unreasonable and not responding to developer concerns and developers saying like, this is what it's going to take and this is where things are at. And then on the other side of it, you have like, yeah, when a game does get delayed or, you know, something uh, does come out with and like, let's divorce this from the cyberpunk conversation because that game came out fucking broken on current Mm -hmm. gen consoles to a level that's inexcusable. And that blame really does live with the, like the higher ups at that company. But in general, like when we as gamers, uh, you know, the capital G gamer culture like throws a fucking fit because a game got delayed or because, um, you know, a game is doesn't have as much content as they expect or, or whatever. Just when we like are sending death threats and being assholes on the Internet about this shit like that doesn't help it either. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we've just all got to be better to each other and like. 
understand that everyone is human and these are humans making these games. Yeah. And they, they can't be treated the way I think that they're being treated. And that's not to say like, yeah, I don't know. The other thing that comes up in crunch culture conversations is like, well, I'm not a game developer. I work a normal job and I have to crunch sometimes. It's like, okay, (laughs) no one should have to like this argument. Isn't that like game developers should be getting special treatment. Um, and also there's like a reality of the way things were, I don't know. It's so fucking complicated. It's so fucking complicated. And it's, that's why, yeah, my argument is just that like, we've got to be more open about these conversations and we've got to let the nuance be able to exist. And sometimes contradictory things are going to be true because that's real life. Right. And yeah, and this isn't like, this isn't a problem specific to the gaming industry. Like we just Mm -hmm. had a conversation on Friday where our team was really pushing to have, you know, this new feature out at X date. And our developer was like, I, to do that, I'm going to have to crunch over the holidays. And we were like, no, people are more important than software. Like, fuck that. Mm -hmm. We'll push the release date back two weeks. Like that's just life in software development land. So like people need to be more aware of like what this type of work looks like. And, and, and like you said, executive shareholders, like managers need to be, uh, you know, like, I think the developers are, you need the developers to make the game. So I feel like you should treat them nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. We're pro developers here. All right, Spencer, what's your last award? Yeah. So um, (laughs) as we just mentioned, it's a game (laughs) that, you know, we definitely have a lot to sit with uh, and process around, but like the last of us too. um, I, my last award is for, um, character of the year. Um, I'm actually going. I'm changing it to characters of the year, um, and I want to call out Abby and Lev, who were mm. in The Last of Us Part Two, um, because I don't think that it would be right to acknowledge. Like I, I've seen that Abby has been, you know, uh, looked at as like a great character this year, and her story so powerful. Omg, um, but honestly, like as we were sort of talking about the problematic nature of the fact that in the last of us series, like people of color are pretty much like props to Mm -hmm. like color in the stories of white people. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think in a lot of ways, Abby's growth. um, So in the game, uh, it's a story of a woman named Ellie who is growing up in this traumatic zombie-filled world and happens to be immune um, from zombie bites. Um, You should look up the first game and look into the story if you don't know anything about this game. Um, But essentially, Ellie goes through an incredibly traumatic experience at the beginning um, of The Last of Us Part Two, and the rest of the story is uh, sort of one of revenge Mm -hmm. and anger and rage um, as she seeks to fill the hole, the gaping hole left in her life by this tremendous loss by killing everybody in sight. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it's not, that's not, the point of the story is not killing people. Like, that's what you do in the game. But um, it's a game that's really examining, like, cycles of violence and, Mm -hmm. and trauma and what it means to be a person who's forced to choose between impossible decisions and it's about forgiveness and it's about growth and it's about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the story also features this character named Abby who um, for, I would say much of the first half of the game, you really do not like Abby. Um, mm-hmm. 
And she's positioned as the villain. I think it's yeah. fair to say. Yeah. Um, and Abby, like, I don't want to spoil the game because I think it's a really great game to experience. But um, I think similarly to the journey, the emotional journey I had with Kratos, um, I found a lot to love about Abby the more that I played the game. And um, maybe it's selfish uh, of her, but in meeting uh, the character Lev uh, in the story is a real turning point for her. Um, Lev is also one of the uh, characters this year that us in the trans community have uh, received. Um, I actually love Lev. Uh, he's he's a trans masculine character um, played um, by Ian Alexander. Um, just a great fighter, uh, an emotionally rich story. Um, I have my problems with Last of Us Part Two because, again, as I mentioned earlier, um, his story is is one that's filled with trauma and familial pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the relationship between Lev and Abby, um, and the way that it. I don't know it was a it was a spot of light in a really dark story, and I mm-hmm. think too it was just maybe maybe it's as simple as it's the first time that as an Asian trans masculine person, um, uh, Ian Alexander who plays Lev is also half Asian, half white like myself, and a trans masculine person like myself, um, and and I've never played a game and had my seen myself in it um, like that and it was just really cool. And so they're my characters of the year because they really made me feel something. Um, and I also saw myself in a video game, which I've been playing games for 20 plus years and that's never happened. So that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, that does. It does suck. But yeah, I, Abby and Lover's a, like the heart of the last of us part two, right. And their story and their journey uh, is really special and says a lot about the families that we choose um, versus the ones that we're born into. So, yeah, I think they're really strong characters. I don't know, Laura, you know, we were just talking about the Game Awards. Laura Bailey, who plays Abby, won the award for best performance in games this year, and I think it was well-deserved. Um, she was a really cool character to see on screen, and her and Love's dynamic was great. So. I definitely agree. If they are not exactly my character of the year, they are certainly in the pool. Yeah. Yeah. Who's your character of the year? I don't, I don't have. Oh, okay. When you said they're not (laughs) in mine, I was like, oh. (laughs) Oh, no. I just meant like they're, they're definitely, I haven't put enough thought into like who would be my one, uh, but they'd definitely be up there. They'd definitely be on the short list. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But the, the final award that I was going to give. Mm-hmm. uh today last but not least last but not least and like i i had to put this award on here because i felt like if we hadn't talked about this game it, it would have been sacrilege for us yeah. in this podcast um but i'm gonna i'm gonna give a dual award of best photo mode and also the game that we can't shut up about to mm-hmm. ghost of tsushima Yes. Uh, <laughs> there it is. There it is. Take your drink. Uh, if you're playing mm. the Pixel Therapy podcast, a uh, drinking game, the drink every time we mention Ghost of Tsushima. That game is Pixel Therapy, gorgeous. unofficially sponsored by uh, <laughs> Ghost of Tsushima. 
Well, that game is so pretty, though. Like, I spent so much time in the photo mode taking pictures of the environment. Uh, all of the pictures are like low angle of my horse running mm-hmm. through a beautiful field. Um, but what a what a pretty game! What a cool open world game! What an interesting setting! What great characters! Um, that game, it's like it just it just kind of hit on every level. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot. And we certainly have talked about it a lot on this podcast. We love you, Earl. We love you, Daisuke. Yes, 100%. <laughs> um, yeah, like, just, what a good-ass game that was. Just a good-ass game. It's like, yeah. I don't think it, I think it, at least in terms of, like, an open-world game, it just kind of, like, it learned from, like, all of the other games we've had this generation and mm-hmm. just kind of, like, did everything right. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about Ghost of Tsushima is like it wasn't like changing the world. It just did everything right and hit exactly what it needed to hit. Yeah. Well, I think time is up for today's session of Pixel Therapy. Thank you for tuning in. And we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. Uh, I want to kind of I want to kind of throw it out there to folks. You know, what are what are your unofficial game awards of 2020? Uh, we'd love for you to reach out to us and let us know. You can email us at pixeltherapypod at gmail dot com, and uh, we'll read them on yeah. the next time. If you if you email us uh, before January first, we'll put it into our next recording. Uh, but yeah, email us. Let us know what are your unofficial game awards of 2020. Um, a quick special thank you slash apology. To our guest <laughs> co-sponsor and clutch companion, Adyinka Araromi, who has been subscribing at our top tier since we launched the Patreon, uh, who's helping us cultivate upcoming guests. Uh, Yinka, we are so appreciative of your sponsorship, and we appreciate you bearing with us as we navigate the Patreon space. Typically, your sponsorship at this level uh, will be included in our social media post for the episode and our show notes. Uh, but that did not happen earlier this month when we released CC's episode. Uh, so we wanted to give you a special extra thank you for your patience and generosity. We love you, Yinka. We really thank you. do. What the hell? <laughs> thank you so much. If you listener want to be like Yinka, you can come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod, where you can get a monthly bonus episode for just $2 a month, plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly. If you're not up for contributing monetarily, but you enjoyed this episode, there are lots of ways you can support us for free, including following us on Instagram and other social media at pixel therapy pod, or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. That stuff is just as important, and we do appreciate it just as much. If you want to reach out to us, like I said before, you can send us that email at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com, and you can keep up with all things Pixel Therapy by checking out our brand spanking new website. Thank you, Spencer. It looks amazing, and you can find that at pixeltherapypod.com. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into that baby. Yeah, a lot of blood, sweat, and pixels. (laughs) Um, yeah, uh, same address, pixeltherapypod.com, but uh, we've just made it a lot more user-friendly, and um, WordPress is really hard to use, so I feel like I wrangled the heck out of that. So <laughs> just proud of our baby. We love her. <laughs> 
Finally, as we end every episode, we'd like to share with you this week's recommended side quest. Um, they're just ideas for how you might be able to get involved um, on a community or national or even international scale. Um, shout out to our international outside of the U.S. listeners. We heart you. Um, anyway, so this week, um, since it's close to the holiday end of your holidays here in the U.S., um, I wanted to talk about an organization that's really important to me personally, um, and that organization is GLAD, and that's um, GLBTQ Legal Advocates and Defenders. Um, you can find them at GLAD.org. That's G-L-A-D.org. Um, but essentially, um, GLAD is a uh, – I just said the title <laughs> – but they're lawyers who um, fight on behalf of LGBTQ people um, all across the United States. Um, GLAD is actually responsible for the landmark um, case in 2008 that legalized gay marriage in the U.S. Um, they uh, advocate for trans rights um, for to create a just society that's free of discrimination based on gender identity and expression an orientation, and also HIV status. Um, HIV is still an illness that's like super stigmatized here in the U.S. Um, and, um, you know, for a long time in the 80s, like uh, queer folks were really demonized um, and uh, for being seen as like spreading HIV. And uh, there's just like a lot of really bad misinformation out there. Um, and GLAD is working to change that. Um, I serve on the board of directors um, for GLAD, and in my life, um, there have been times where, because I am trans, um, my housing has been threatened. Um, I've been threatened physically, physical harm. Um, there have been times where work has been an unsafe place for me, um, and GLAD's legal advice hotline um, was there for me to answer questions and empower me at a time when, like, I didn't know who to talk to because I didn't have like any adults in my life who could like help me with that kind of stuff. Um, so GLAD's a really great organization. Um, they're about civil rights. Uh, I think, you know, fighting for LGBTQ rights and the rights of people of color who are also queer and trans um, creates a better world for all of us. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you're thinking about places you might want to give to. Um, GLAD's, like every other um, organization, um, has been hit pretty hard by COVID. It's, it's cut out the ability for in-person gatherings, um, for uh, like their clinics and resources uh, that they used to do in person. It all has to go online. Um, and it's a small team um, based here in Boston doing this work. So i um, just really thankful for the organization and, and for uh, my opportunity to volunteer uh, with them. Um, so again, you can check them out at glad.org. Um, and yeah, there's a big donate button right at the top of the page. Um, and there's also a ton of more information about recent cases, litigation they're working on right now, and just the history of the organization. That's awesome. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel, Pixel Therapy. therapy. Hey. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs>